man is known by the company he keeps. I am Abraham, and I keep my company with God. Abraham, the friend of God, I am called in your scriptures. My intimate friendship with God did not come without great cost and great pain. Are you a friend of God? You must ask yourself that question. I had pitched my tents near Hebron in the mountains by the oaks of Mamre. And there, one sultry summer afternoon, three men came to visit me. In the following conversation, I quickly discerned that one of, in one of these men, the Lord himself was speaking, and the other two were his messengers. After I gave them food that afternoon and they arose to leave, I walked with them. The Lord gave me a promise. He said that I would have a son. A son. How Sarah and I laughed. I was 99 years old. Sarah was 89. And we were to have a son, the promised seed, promised years and years before and never fulfilled. But the Lord said to me, about this time, I will return to you next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. The promised seed. But my story today is not about the promised seed. It's about the conversation I had with these three men and the events that followed. I walked with them as they went uh, to the east, about a hundred yards, and there was a promontory of rock in the mountains from which one could view the plain on the northern end of the Dead Sea. And we looked out together over the plain, lush and green inexpressibly beautiful as Eden must have looked when it came from the hand of God. And there on the plain, there were cities that dotted the landscape, the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, the largest and oldest among them. And footpaths and donkey trails connected the different villages and towns and cities of the plain. And on a clear day, one could see 40 miles, and you could see the bustling movement of commerce as Merchants carried their goods from place to place, wine and water and oil and grain and wool and flax and instruments of music and singers traveling from place to place and other things as well. Bands of children roped together and pressed into prostitution for their degraded worship and bodies hung at the crossroads in some strange fertility ritual for their gods, and wandering shamans, and village idiots. And often I had sat there and watched the movement on the plain and wondered what will, be hap what will happen to all of these people and to Lot, my nephew, who lived among them. Well, I stood to one side as the three men conversed to themselves. And then the one, the Lord, turned to me and uh, 
he said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is very great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done all together according to the outcry that has come up to me, and if not, I will know. Well, I felt dread at his words as I watched the two messengers turn to leave and make their way down the mountain to the cities of the plain. For I knew that Sodom was a wicked place. And surely the Lord of all the earth knew as well. The infamy of Sodom was known worldwide as a place of fun and degradation. Um, God can judge all sin, I suppose. But when the level of sin reaches uh, a, a, a height in which it permeates every fiber of society, what could God do? And that's what Sodom was. And so I wondered, what will God do? Will he distinguish the righteous from the wicked in judgment? And there I stood on the mountain with God and gazed out over the cities of the plain and wondered, what will happen to my nephew Lot, Lot who lives in Sodom? You see, Lot had come with me from Ur, the country of the Chaldeans, far to the east where he had grown up. He had traveled with me to the land of promise in which I resided now. We had come together until our flocks and herds grew too great for us to graze the same lands, at which point we separated. We had lived together a nomadic pastoral life until that day when he chose the plain with all of its lush greenery as the place for his flocks and herds, and he took them there. Later I learned that he gave up the nomadic life, and he moved into the city and enjoyed its pleasures with all of his wealth. What would become of Lot if God acted in judgment? And so I spoke with God there on the mountain. No, I, I bargained with God. What would God do when he brought judgment? Would judgment uh, distinguish the righteous and the wicked, or would he sweep them all away in his wrath? I, I, the year before, I had planted vegetables in a garden plot outside of my tent, and there I had uh, planted some corn and vegetables for Sarah and myself. And uh, as they came up, the tender young plants, weeds came up with them. And so... I knelt there every day, and I pulled out the weeds. But the weeds entangled themselves in their, around the roots of the tender young plants, and often when I pulled out a weed, a plant came with it. And after hours of doing this in my anger, I took my stick and turned them all over. And I said, better no fruit at all than fruit that is choked and withered by weeds and comes out among them in the end. And would God do the same? When God brought judgment, would he distinguish the righteous and the wicked and separate them? Or would, would God act in such a way as to turn them all over together into Sheol? And so I, I bargained with God. I said to him, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom? Will you indeed destroy the city 
and not save it for their sake? And the Lord said, if there are 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will not destroy it. And they made bold to say, well, what if there are 45? Will you destroy it for 45? And he said, I will not. And 40? No. And I said, what if there are 30 or, or 20 or even 10? What if there are only 10 righteous people in Sodom? When you sweep it away, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And the Lord said, if in Sodom I find 10 righteous people, even for 10, I will spare the whole city for their sake. The righteous judge can distinguish righteousness and wickedness, and so great is his reluctance to condemn that even for a small number of the godly, he will overlook the sins of many. And so he left me there on that mountain promontory in the late afternoon, and I sat watching the movement on the plain and pondering the ways of righteousness and justice and sin and judgment until it was evening. It was only later that I learned what happened after that. I pieced it together from various sources. And at my leisure, I was able to draw lessons from it for myself and for you as well. I want you to hear my story today and find out what became of Lot. Was he a friend of the world or a friend of God? You can decide. The messengers made their way down the mountain to the cities of the plain, and they went to Sodom. They entered in uh, at the city gate, and who met them there but Lot, my, son, my nephew. Lot, uh, that was his way. He, he uh, frequently would look for strangers and aliens and take them in, and the reason was he knew the city. He knew its character, and he knew the dangers that were there. So he begged them to stay with him. At first they were reluctant. They said, no, we'll stay in the open square. We had no hotels or inns at that time, and people, if they were not invited in hospitably to someone's home, they would stay in the open square. That was customary. It was generally safe. But Lot said, no, no, don't do that. Please come to my home, and I will take care of you. And so he brought them in, these messengers of God, unbeknownst to him, and he fed them and took care of them. And when they were ready to retire, the men from every quarter of the city came and, and uh, to the house of Lot, and they said, where are the men who came to you? Bring them out to us so that we may know them. That was Sodom. These were the things that rose up as a stench into the nostrils of God. The crime and the degradation and the mistreatment of the stranger and the alien. These were the things that brought an outcry up to God. The cry of abused children. The cry of murdered men and women. The, the cry of innocent people pressed into uh, evil designs and in themselves, in, in the process, becoming evil themselves. And all of those things that weren't handled in the home and weren't resolved in the city as they should have been, all of, the, all of the problems brought to the elders in the city gate that they did not wisely resolve, all of the violence and the crime and the degradation, that was Sodom. And I knew that God, the righteous judge, would see these things 
and he would act. But what would become of Lot when God acted? Well, hear what happened next. Lot went outside the door and closed it behind him and said, Oh, no, my brothers, do not do this wicked thing. These men have come under the shelter of my home. Look, I have two daughters who have never known a man. I will bring them out to you. You can do to them whatever you want, but don't bring this evil on these men who have come to me. Are you shocked at that? He only showed the ambiguity in which he had lived his whole life long. Because, you see, on one hand, he sheltered the spies, on the, uh, the, the messengers. On the other hand, he uh, brought his daughters out to these men. At least he was willing to. He, his compromise only displayed the ambiguity in his heart that he was caught between God and the world. If you choose to live in Sodom, how will you keep Sodom from living inside of you? And on one hand, he could do righteousness. On the other hand, wickedness. Was he a friend of God or not? Well, the men pressed against him and began to attempt to break down the door to get inside. And at that moment, the messengers showed their true identity. They uh, opened the door and pulled Lot back in, slammed the door, and struck the men at the door of the house with blindness so that they groped around and wandered away. And, and then the angels said to the men, to, to Lot, have you anyone else in this place? Sons-in-law, sons or daughters or any other person in this city? Bring them out because we are about to destroy the city for the outcry has come up into the ears of God and he has sent us to destroy this place. And so Lot went out that night and he, he went to the men who were engaged to be married to his daughters. And he, he spoke with them and told them the message that had been given to them and, and begged them to come with him and to leave the city. But they laughed him to scorn. They mocked at him and so mocks every person who does not know the righteous judge. So mocks every man, every woman, every poet, philosopher, singer, every king who does not know that there is a God who judges righteously. And when the level of sin has reached a point that the outcry comes to his ears, he will come and act in judgment. And they set him out. So Lot went back home and by just before the breaking of the morning, he was still hesitating there in his house. He loved the city. He loved the home and the life that it afforded to him. His wealth bought him all of the pleasures and all the enjoyment of food and drink and friendship. He hated to leave it. But finally, the, the, the angels took him by the hand and the hand of his wife and his daughters and rushed them out of the house, out through the city gate, out to, to the east side of the city and pointed to the mountains where I was and said, run to the hills for your life. The Lord is about to destroy this place. If you stay here, you will die. Do not stop anywhere on the plain. Go to no towns or villages. Run to the hills, lest disaster overtake you. But even then, he hesitated. 
he stopped and threw himself on the ground and degraded himself and weeping and crying, throwing earth in the air and tearing his clothes with snot running down his face. He said to the men, oh no, my lords, do not make me do that. It's too far. I cannot go that far. Disaster will overtake me. Here is a small city. See this city? It's very small. Let me go to it and I will be safe. So attached was his heart to the people of the plain, to the life that it afforded him there, without the hardships of living in the mountains. But he wanted to live there. And the angel said, I will show you this one favor also. I will not overthrow that city of which you have spoken. And so Lot threw himself headlong and rushed as fast as he could across the plain. Normally it is cool at night in the mountains. The wind comes from the west customarily and it blows across the great sea over the land of the Philistines and up into the mountains bringing its freshness and coolness. But that night, sometime in the night, the wind changed and came from the opposite direction. And I woke hot in a sweat with an unfamiliar odor, the acrid smell of tar and smoke floated into my tent. And so I opened and went out. And there in just the slivers of beginning daylight, I could see clouds, and not the wispy small clouds of Palestinian summer that I was used to, but dense, dark, heavy, thick clouds moving from east to west, coming up over the mountains. With foreboding, I, I made my way along the trail uh, 100 yards or so to the promontory on which I had uh, stood the night before and overlooked the cities of the plain with the Lord himself. And there, you cannot imagine the horror of what I saw. In the place of the lush and green pastures, it was dead and dry and barren. Smoke rose from various places and here and there where cities had stood, it looked as though a child had, had taken earth and sand and water and made of it a thick mud and just thrown it in clumps in spots on the earth. There was fog in the low-lying areas and um, smoke arose from the whole scene. It was only later that I learned what had happened, what I found out, uh, what, what became of Lot, my son, my nephew. As Lot stumbled his way uh, across the plain, parts of the earth would break open around them, it, subterranean caverns of gas and asphalt met with sulfur and salt and ignited in tremendous explosions that threw hot burning tar by the hundredweight up into the sky and was landing all around them as they rushed headlong 
blindly to the city of Zoar. And as these things were falling around them, and they were weeping and crying in fear, Lot's wife turned, stopped, and looked back. Not a glance, you understand. A longing gaze. She looked back at the city of Sodom and held out her arms and said, My home, my home where I raised my children, the place where I enjoyed life, our friends, all of the things that we had. How can God do this? How can God judge in this way? There were bad people, but many people were good. How can God do this? It's unfair, I tell you, it's unfair. And Lot turned back to save her. He, he went to pull her back, but she wouldn't come. And as she stood there, her arms outstretched, burning sulfuric tar poured from the heavens and covered her. And she was encased in what became a hardened rock of sodium sulfate, like the hearts of many to whom her heart was attached those that day. And there, she still stands. Sodom itself is now under the Dead Sea. But you can still see on the north side, in the barren plain, these strange rock-like projections that are the reminders, the residue of God's judgment. Who could have known? Who could have known that Lot was a friend of God and his wife was a friend of the world? They had both lived in Sodom. They had both enjoyed its pleasures. But somewhere in Lot's divided heart, there was this conviction that there is a righteous judge. And so he looked for people to protect because he knew the city, though he underestimated its dangers to him. His wife, on the other hand, she loved the city with a reckless abandon. She loved the life that it gave her, and she had no place for the righteous judge. Who could have known? No human being could have discerned the difference between wickedness and righteousness. Only God, only God who sees the heart, could have known the difference. I'm telling you a story of long ago. But it's a story of right now, too, and it's a story of things to come. After all, my final seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, your king and mine, once said that Sodom was only a picture. It was like a foreshadowing of how God will deal with a whole world steeped in wickedness someday. Here's what he said. Listen to me. He said, just as it was in the days of Lot, People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, building and planting until the day Lot went out of the city and fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So, he said, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And then he adds these words, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. She's never even given a name. What happened to her is described in one sentence. But Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. 
Who could have known the difference between the righteous and the wicked? Who could have known that she was captured by the world and that his heart was given to God? Only the one who sees the heart could distinguish that. And you, what about you? You live in a world of compromisers. You live in a day when tolerance is the watchword of the day, in a day when wickedness prevails and the righteous blend in and are hardly distinguished, and when good and evil are so difficult to discern and separate from one another. What about you? The choices that you make, what is your heart given to? Do you even know? God knows. God, the righteous judge, is able to distinguish the wicked from the righteous. In judgment, he will save the righteous, every one. A man is known by the company he keeps. I am Abraham. I keep my company with God, and he calls me his friend. Are you a friend of God? You decide.